right, welcome to the vape week number three. Hope you guys have all been having a good week. I'm getting a little bit over the weather or under back from under the weather, whichever way that goes. Uh, sorry about last week, uh, but the day before I sounded a little bit like Demi Moore, so I think things are going to work out a little bit better today, hopefully. So we've got a lot of things on the slate tonight and see what they might be. Uh, one, I want to uh, basically go over a brief history of diacetyl in the vaping world uh, as it relates to vaping. Then I want to talk about a store that got a notice from the FDA. I want to talk about uh, a whole bunch of different things with lawsuits that have been going on. Uh, there's been a ton of them. Uh, I want to talk about Vince in Australia who has lost the case that he was trying to do, and that was the guy with the GoFundMe. I want to talk about the NBS case, which is very, very interesting. Uh, what what the academics are doing, and, and they're just, uh, uh, I guess the technical word for it is ivory tower butthurt. Then, let's see, I've got a UK audio, uh, which has the, the people talking about what their things are going on with the TPD. It's an interesting audio. Uh, I might have something from the stuff that is going on in California. And I got a few other topics maybe, and then of course your phone lines. This is the Vape Week. Your host tonight is myself. My name's Ed Wolf. And this is hosted on the VP Live Network uh, created by Russ and Kevin. I hope you visit their sponsors which are Smokeless Image Electronic Cigarettes and the Plume Room Premium Artesian E-Liquids. Alright, so uh, I'm going to go a little bit out of sequence. Uh, what I'm going to do right now is play what the Parliament is talking about with the TPD. And this is in stark contrast between what is going on in the United States. You'll hear both sides, opposition and pro, but if you listen to what they're saying, they're both logical and they both actually are looking at the public health benefits, even though I, they're all, anyway, it's, it's about uh, seven minutes and I'm just going to go ahead and play it. Here we go. My laws, the Tobacco Products Directive, which will come into force from May this year, will provide a new regulatory framework for vaping devices and e-liquids, assuring their safety and quality. The government recognises that e-cigarettes can help people to quit smoking and that quitting smoking completely is the best thing a smoker can do for their health. My Lords, I thank my noble friend for that helpful reply. Uh, given that the Prime Minister in the other place said that uh, one million people have uh, given up smoking as a result of taking up vaping, including, I believe, my noble friend Lord Brabazon of Tara, uh, and given that uh, the public health benefits of this are in the order of £74 billion, uh, and given that the main losers from this are the pharmaceutical industry who are seeing falls in the sales of patches and, and gums, uh, does he agree with me that the pharmaceutical industry lobbying may be behind the attempt to, to regulate these products too heavily and possibly to shackle them with an excise tax? And could he give an estimate uh, of any Department of the Health estimate of the size of the black market that is likely to result from this directive uh, and whether or not it will result in people going back to smoking? Uh, my Lords, I think the, the, the benefits of e-cigarettes are, are well understood, and, and the figure of, of that one million people have given up smoking 
by taking out um, e-cigarettes, I think, is a, is, a, is, a, is a valid and true figure. Um, the, the tobacco um, regulation that he refers to does not have any proposals for an excise tax. It, it is purely related to ensuring that these products are used safely and are to a given quality. My Lords, the noble Lord will know that the impact of this directive is to make it much more difficult for e-cigarettes to be promoted. My Lords, why is that, given the clear benefit to the public health? The government's answer is public health programmes can substitute for it. But this government has slashed those public health programmes. My Lords, given the Prime Minister's success in negotiations in the EU about a change in direction, can he now confirm in any case that presumably we won't now have to implement Article 20 if we don't want to? Uh, well, I think the, the origins of this directive uh, were in part because a number of European countries wanted to ban this product, and the fact that um, there is a directive which will have a regulated market means that um, British manufacturers will have access to those large um, European markets. The main, as I understand it, the main issue that uh, maybe the noble lord is concerned about is the fact that where the, where the um, nicotine content, um, the strength of the nicotine content goes above 20 megs to, for, for one milliliter, uh, then it will have to have MHRA approval, uh, which, may take, which, may, which may indeed may mean that the higher strength nicotine substitutes, if you like, are less readily available. But that is done on safety grounds. But my Lords, as I've already been quoted on this question, I wonder if uh, my noble friend the Minister would agree that I am one of those who smoked for many, many years and haven't had a cigarette now for two years because I've taken up using uh, one of these devices. Can my noble friend tell me why these devices are included at all in the Tobacco Products Directive? Because they're not a tobacco product. Well, can I also congratulate um, the noble lord for, for giving up cigarettes and um, taking up these um, other, other products. I, I don't know whether he's tried unicorn blood or crab leg flavours, but there is a multitude of, of flavours um, available on the market. And I, I think the, the directive purely it has come about because of the... The, because of the, the feeling that nicotine is, not, is, is, a better, is better than smoking, but it's not perfect. While these products are clearly much less harmful than smoking tobacco, they are not entirely harmless. They have a lot of noxious chemicals in them. So what is the government doing to inform people uh, about the research on the potential hazards of these products, including a reduction in uh, resistance to infections, reductions in fertility, and behaviour pattern changes? Uh, I think that uh, the, these new products, um, they're not, as I said, they are not perfect, but they are very, very substantially better than, than, smo than smoking cigarettes. And one, one of the purposes of the new directive is that there should be proper labelling on the product. My Lords, the, the noble lord dismissed the idea of an excise tax, but there is a strong rumour that there is a t an intention in the EU to impose a tax on these products. Uh, will the government do everything they can to counteract this uh, counterproductive uh, su suggestion? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, as I said, the excise, the pro any proposal for an excise duty is not part of the tobacco directive, as, as I understand it. And, but I would agree entirely with the, with, the with the intent behind the question, which is that we should be promoting this product, not discouraging it. A classic, my lords, is this not a classic? In addition to what my noble friend sitting next to me has just said right at the beginning that 
these vapours ensure that there is no harmful effect on passive smoking, which you normally get from cigarettes. And in addition, there's research in New Zealand which shows that uh, it's a far better way to come off smoking than placebo or uh, the um, patches. So that saves the NHS money. So is this not just another example of that this thing is a badly thought through draft directive? Uh, my Lord, I think there is evidence that um, e-cigarettes are more effective or, uh, or certainly as effective as other nicotine or as nicotine replacement therapies. And I think the noble is right that there is no um, danger from passive smoking, which is why that there is no, no plans that I'm aware of that um, the, uh, the, the, the ability to smoke in public places does not, or the inability to smoke in public places does not apply to e-cigarettes. My lords, my lords um, do we really need this sort of interfering directive from, 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 from Brussels? Um, are, we, are we incapable of looking after vaping devices ourselves? Rose, I think we are capable of looking after vaping um, devices on our own, but of course if we ever want to sell into the European market, we will have to abide by those regulations. Lords, is it not perfectly obvious that what is happening here is that big business is lobbying Brussels in order to shut out competition and that these e-cigarettes cost less, which means that the impact of highly regressive taxes on tobacco are limited and also enable people to save their health? Could my noble friend admit that the government is powerless to do anything about this? Uh, no, I don't, I don't admit that the government is powerless to do anything about this. I don't, I don't believe that the origins of this um, directive has anything to do with limiting um, competition, but, in but actually are based in trying to have a regulated market where safety and quality are guaranteed. Lord Shipley. I don't know about you, but that is just an amazing piece of audio. Um, it, it, I'm, I'm almost jaw-dropped. The, the, what they're talking about and, and how they're talking about it is everything is absolutely correct. Everything that they're saying. They're talking about if they want to be part of the EU, that the EU, uh, Brussels, is, is forcing this upon them. And then they're going over all the health benefits and, and what will and how basically vaping is much better. There's only one person in there that basically talks about some bad studies talking about, uh, and we've seen these before, uh, talking about how uh, uh, the in vitro studies as far as when they took some vape and they stuck it on some cells, that the cells in the Petri dish had a hard time living or something like that. And, and what other people have said is that any cells in the Petri dish are almost certain to die just by sitting there. It was really bad data, but, but she's going over some of the fear stuff. E even what she's saying is really tempered, but, but they're talking about the black market. They're talking about uh, the effects uh, of, of the taxes uh, and how it's going to push out uh, vaping. It, it's just, to me, it, it, it's an incredible piece of audio, and, and I wish that the United States would have that same sort of dialogue in California and, and in the House of Representatives and, and, and everywhere. Uh, I, it, to me, it's just an amazing piece of audio, and um, when when they've when they put together that study that that's talking about that vaping is 95% uh, safer, uh, as they said it, than than uh, smoking cigarettes. It, it's it's just that the the people behind that it's real real work, it's real science, 
and at least the legislatures are listening to that and and also there's the a very old man in there talking about how he's quit it they even mentioned unicorn blood and and crab uh crab juice which is uh something that i think i saw damien mortar talk about once uh about having some of the worst tasting juice i don't know who would want to have crab flavored e-liquid perhaps uh people in uh, japan because they put crab on their pizzas uh so i don't know but it it's just to me it's just an amazing piece of audio so i want to go to uh some information now that i uh found um regarding indiana um and one of the things that Kassaw and, and I think uh, Christian uh, from Kassaw has always been very good at is basically concede nothing um, and, and continue the fight no matter what. Um, and so what I, what I found here is something from Indiana, and Indiana is just, just a, a terrible problem. Um, I mean, what the law is in Indiana, it, it enables people with a tobacco license to sue people that are out of state that are selling inside of their state. Uh, so it gives the lawyers ability to, to sue back. It, it does a tremendous amount of other things. Um, and one of them is uh, supposedly the, the security feature, um, which probably can be worked around. I'm not quite sure, but that's what most people are talking about is the the security problem. Uh, now, the, what I found here is a open dialogue with the authors of the bill talking to Evan from Hoosier Vapors and uh, another person, uh, I don't have his name, uh, and this was all before the laws passed. And and so there's some some things, uh, let me, and it's going to be, it's kind of kludgy, but uh, let me play uh, some clips from it and then I'll stop it and then uh, talk again. The Views and, and Mark 10, uh, these are produced by uh, uh, big tobacco companies and are sold uh, in gas stations and things like that. And um, they're either disposable or the little cartridges here can be replaced. And they have smaller batteries. And um, again, you're not necessarily sure exactly what's in them or where they're produced. Uh, but they're just, they're made by big tobacco. And so those would be considered e-cigarettes. This would be an e-cigarette. And they're mostly right. gas station convenience stores, right. not exactly. so much in vape right. shops no, like uh, the ones there, that you have. Yeah, there are. As far as I know, there are no vape shops in Indiana that sell products like these. Um, what we have is uh, a starter kit type of vape pen like this. Um, this is a, just a regular battery. It's a smaller battery, and then you have a refillable um, tank on it that you can put your own liquid into. Uh, and those are the ones that, that most people start off with when they get into vaporizing. Um, and then you get into some of the, the, the bigger devices that are, that are more customizable and more powerful. This is actually the one that I use on a regular basis. I like this one. Uh, it just has a little bit more power, which uh, means I can get more, more vapor. Um, so the, the, the main things that people may not like about some of the e-cigarettes is as a smoker, you're, you're used to a certain volume of smoke. And because the batteries are so small on these, they just don't produce that. Um, and that's why these aren't necessarily as effective um, as these devices are at getting people to, to move on to the next level. These actually, uh, a personal vaporizing unit, uh, actually has a 60, 60 times more likely to help a smoker become an ex-smoker. Um, so they're, they're a good product to, to have out there that people can use. And there's a, this is just a small, there are hundreds of different types of devices out there that you can choose from to fit your needs. And now when you say more smoke, you mean more vapor. More vapor, right. Okay. So 
one of the problems there is that uh, I've seen some pretty good studies with vapor products and how effective that they are. I've never seen anything that says they're 60 more likely to stop smoking. 60 times is is it's going to be called on. People are going to call BS and it is. The next spot here is going to be the Bill's author talking about why he's doing it. I know there's a lot, well, I'm probably here, uh, some debate about that, uh, but Carlin, how did this issue of e-liquid regulation first come to your attention? Well, I think most people have seen these vape shops popping up everywhere across the state and across the country for that matter. And uh, as individuals started questioning what these shops were and what they were all about, we started getting more and more calls to the office. And, and I was also familiar with a, another legislator who had put a bill in to regulate these uh, shops in a way that I felt was a little over the top and uh, also brought a taxing portion to the bill, which I did not support. And so uh, we decided to get involved and try to come up with some legislation that was um, less onerous in nature and, and tried, tried to play um, fair with everybody. I'm not a, a regulations person by nature. I tend to be anti-regulation. So this is a little out of my element to bring regulations to a product. But, but clearly, some regulation needed to happen here because there's absolutely none uh, in our state or across the country, for that matter, from, from what I understand. So, uh, so the task for me was to develop a bill that, that brought smart regulations that, that didn't harm the good players in the industry and still protected um, the consumers of this product. And that's what we're still working on. Um, but that's how uh, the genesis of this bill came about. Okay. And Jim, you are a co-sponsor on the legislation right now. It sounds like there's really just no regulation at all in terms of nicotine levels, in terms of what, who can produce this, right. in terms of what they put in it. Is that what got you concerned? And, and I think that was a very powerful point that Connor brought up, is no regulation. That's, that's the thing. Now, we, we have two responsible individuals here today. They're talking about the, uh, the uh, operation, how this, this uh, is utilized. And we have no problem with that, believe me. But sometimes some people have to be protected from their own shortcomings. And I think that the bill that, that uh, Senator Yoder and myself and a number of other senators on bipartisan, I might add, is the fact is that anything that's sold out from the market today has undergone some kind of scrutiny and some kind of FDA enhancement or, UA or Department of Health. Um, scrutiny and this is what the whole theory of this is, is is the fact is that hey we're not trying to close anybody down this isn't about putting people out of business this is about making sure that the product that's out there that's available to the public has met certain standards and guidelines and then it's safe and then we say hey we can rest easy at night knowing that hey you know it has met the standards but um, I think too often people are thinking that, uh, that we're trying to close people down or regulate believe me as the senator alluded to Regulations is not our forte. I'm not uh, too much government in, in people's lives right now, but sometimes that's what we're called upon to do and that's why we're elected. Okay, so when people sometimes say we don't have any idea what's in these and often <coughs> vape shop owners and producers will say, well, I can tell you exactly what's in it, but right now they wouldn't necessarily need to do that. That and that's think? right. As we said, there's no regulation right now. We don't know who's manufacturing it. I mean, as uh, Evan showed us there, he had the bottle and telling us where they're made, but how do we guarantee that that's made? Or how do we know that bottle isn't, isn't, there isn't another substance made by 
another individual put in that bottle that's out there. You know, we, we have no way of doing that. We have to have some, some regulation to make sure that standards are met and people are protected. And, and Elizabeth, I would also point out that Evan's examples, I have other examples of bottles where there's a very um, sketchy looking label on them with no ingredients listed whatsoever, no nothing on them other than maybe the, the name that they've given the juice. And so that's the kind of stuff we're trying to get out of the market so that those products can be legitimized and, and individuals who go into these vape shops will know what they're getting and can feel comfortable smoking it or, or vaping it um, based on these sensible regulations. Okay, so Evan, as you think about uh, the bill, do you agree or disagree that it makes sense to be able to track these things back to their source and to know what's in them and to perhaps have a label in what's in them. Um, and if you agree, what's your principal objection to the legislation, especially as it was originally written? Um, you know, when you look at, at vape shops across the country and you look at producers across the country, the industry, uh, which we do have industry groups that, that self-regulate the industry and put out standards and guidelines and ask shops to adhere to these, um, a, a lot of these things were already done by a lot of shops. Um, these are all bottles that are produced in Indiana and unfortunately I was actually using this one earlier so I can't show you that it, it had the tamper seal on it. But it has the tamper seal. Um, some of these already have batch numbers numbering on them. Um, you know, they're childproof caps. These things were already being done kind of by the industry, um, as well as placing, you know, what the ingredients actually are, listing them, putting that on there was already being done. Um, so it, it's it's okay to say, you know, we all need to kind of need to do that. We all need to to have that standard and move forward with that kind of standard. Banning sales to minors. Um, you know, every shop in Indiana uh, that I work with and represent with the Hoosier Vapors Council has that policy of no sales to minors. Uh, it was actually in the state law already. Um, I guess there was enforcement issues with it, but it was already there and everybody was, was acting as though they would get in trouble if they sold to a minor. Um, but um, those aren't the issues that we had with the bill. The issues that we had with the bill were some of the um, requirements for like pharmaceutical grade facilities, casino style security, um, you know, having security firm that had to, had to, you know, approve your layout, locking mechanisms, 24-hour uh, camera systems. Uh, there were things like that that we had issues with. And then there's like the little nitty gritties for how a permit is issued and, and you know, the things like that. So, so what he's talking about is HAD, H-A-D, past tense products being manufactured outside Indiana, uh, being sold in Indiana, um, having to have a manufacturer's permit which is not done in any other industry uh, anywhere at all. Um, you know, those were the issues that we had. And, and to the credit of the senators, um, you know, uh, Senator Yoder uh, met with us, has met with us a couple of times. We've, we've spoken on the phone, we exchange emails, and we're working to address those issues um, that that would be a barrier to entry that would harm small business. Putting a, putting a seal on here doesn't hurt any Indiana business. Um, listing the ingredients, having a batching system that traces back the lot numbers uh, so that if there is a problem, that doesn't hurt any business. But a $30,000 security contract, that hurts a business. Um, you know, some of those things do hurt. And I, I think as Senator Yoder has gotten to know the industry, has, has learned a little bit more as we've talked about things a little bit more, um, I, I think we've seen that there, there are some areas where we were able to kind of reach an agreement on some of these things um, 
just because it's, you know, you may not know how the industry works and operates. So I, you know, give that credit that, that we're, we're working together and hopefully uh, that's reflected in the bills that we see Monday. Tony, was that your major concern then too? It sounds like these uh, policies that Evan mentioned that he was most concerned about are really economic yes, issues. Yep. So my understanding is that the batching system and the requirement to hold samples for three years in itself far outstrips the cost of the regulatory um, uh, aspects of, of a security system. Um, I, I was when I was watching the hearing I saw one vendor get up and said that the the actual requirements for the retaining of samples and the batching and all the different things would put his company out of business because they were talking about 250,000 or more uh, to to comply with that uh, it's been a while since I looked at that uh, but that's what I recall and hook it up again economic and kind of overbearing at the same point I mean you know the Evan mentioned the uh, you know security firm auditing our store essentially 24 hours a day is a little overbearing and doesn't really solve anything. Um, and Senator Yoder mentioned you know sensible regulations, and I think you know Evan just mentioned those as well that you know the uh, the tamper-proof seals, child-resistant caps, um, ingredients listed, batch dates. I mean we already do all those things, um, and those things make sense. And, you know, and, and they're easy to implement, they're not expensive to implement, um, and it's something, they're all things that every company should be doing. Um, and as Evan also pointed out, we already have a, you know, no selling to minors law on the books, and, you know, that needs to be enforced as well. Okay, let's go to the phones. Matthew from Mishawaka. So having, having a sensible law um, that, you know, helps the state to monitor and trace back something in the event there is a problem is one thing and and we we agree to that um, and in the original draft of the bill there were just a lot of things on there that were about trying to you know prevent bad players and uh, it was doing it at the expense of the good players in the industry and the bad players aren't going to follow those rules. They're just, they're not. They're still going to be selling out of the trunk of their car outside of a flea market. Um, so, you know, that was our big concern was we're being uh, penalized for the bad players that could exist out there. And I, I think what, what has happened now is it is a sensible bill, uh, at least with the amendments that we've been discussing. And, and Okay, um, that's where my jaw dropped, obviously. It is a sensible bill now. Um, blows me away. Uh, because this is before it passed. And, and this was the time to be screaming bloody murder. Screaming it. I mean, just going apeshit. Um, and this is a PBS interview that's going out, which has the two bill authors, and it's now a sensible bill. trying to work on uh, you know it's something that gives the state um, some guidance it gives the state the authority to enforce rules and it also gives them the ability to track the products to make sure that if there is something that happens you know it's we have our logs we have our batches and we can go all the way from who manufactured it in our facility all the way back to who was the vendor that I purchased the raw materials from and that makes sense um, you know that's not a, that's not a problem um, but you know Let's go back to the phones again. This is Tom from. Uh, it, as we found out, it, it, it is a problem.
does seem like when we talk about regulations and regulatory law, there are almost always winners and losers. I just saw a story about Sunday alcohol sales, and this well, has come up every single time. But it sounds like there's virtually nobody who actually argues uh, anymore <laughs> the sort of ethical, moral argument about selling alcohol on a Sunday as opposed to when you already are selling it six other days of the week. But this is about who wins, who loses, small businesses who say we don't have the staff, we don't have the inventory versus big businesses. They don't want to give up market share to those big businesses. And so uh, this is one of the concerns with regulatory law in general, isn't it? Sure. And without a doubt, you know, every time you pass regulations, somebody's probably going to, ox is going to get gored and the other person's going to be happy. And when, you know, what you hope to do is, I guess, is that everybody goes away a little disgruntled because then you've been successful because <laughs> neither one felt they win, you know, so mm -hmm. if you can get that. But, but uh, you know, the, the thing about this is, is, is I'm really not familiar with it. I did see a demonstration in my caucus room with the, uh, the same machine that you use mm -hmm. there, whatever you call it. And you know it was just a clear liquid, or the excuse me, the vapor that, that dissipated and so forth, and and uh, it seemed like it was common sense. But again, we're concerned about making who's going to be buying it. We're not worried about Evan and, and uh, Tony here, but I'm worried about you know John Smith down the street that's going to open up in his garage and start selling things you know illegally, and that's the same thing that happens over and over again. And remember, it's not uncommon. We pass a law one year that we're going to come back and have to tweak that law the next year, you know. So that's we keep talking about bad players, though. I mean, but I haven't heard any mention of maybe educating Hoosiers on what they should be looking for. I right. mean, if you walk into a store and there's open bottles and people are taking literally, you know, ketchup refill bottles and squeezing them in there and mixing something up, you should know that. Or at least any product once at you're all. educated exactly right. that that's not good. You should seek your um, right. your liquid elsewhere. But we haven't mentioned educating the people of this state at all. And one of the one of the things that you do get when you when you when you go into a gas station, and some gas stations are selling, you know, more than just uh, you know these style uh, e-cigarettes. They're also selling very cheap versions of this that come in a blister pack that that hangs there, and then they have the little containers of of e-liquid that are actually coming from China and don't have any ingredients listed on them. Um, you know, there's no education when you walk in right. to that gas station and you purchase that product at the gas station or a convenience store. When you walk into a vape shop, the, you're greeted. You know, it's actually the, the standard customer service, you know, introduced to the customer and ask them their story. Why do you want, why are you here today? And it's inevitably, I want to quit smoking. Okay, well, <coughs> what do you smoke? How much do you smoke? Um, you know, the reason why I, I use this particular device is because it actually, I have arthritis, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. And when my hands are bothering me, this actually fits in my hand very nicely. It's, it's light, it's easy for me to use, and it doesn't hurt my, my hands. I learned that because I walked into a vape shop and was able to talk to a customer or to an uh, employee who was knowledgeable and was able to handle the device. I can't do that online with a device if I'm trying to purchase it. And you don't get that attention uh, in a gas station or a convenience store. You need to go to where the specialty store is to get that specialty product. And I'd like to point out one other thing. You do know you broke Indiana code when you were 
using the device in the caucus room, right? <laughs> or or when, when, they, when they did that in there, that was a violation. You're not supposed to do that. Don't, don't let it, if you see him do it again, tell him not to do that. Let it slide this time. <laughs> he, he was just a, a witness. You were, you know, <laughs> actually, was, I was surprised when he went out and pulled it out and brought it in. I think it was the same color. It might have been that advice right there. Did you give it to him to use? In no. The no. <laughs> no. <laughs> but but what, uh, a thing that, that Tony brought up here is a good point about education. But let me ask you, that for a second, whose job is it to educate? Is it ours as a legislature, or is it, would it be your vape association? Or, mm -hmm. or, or I know, think I it's all the above. I yeah. mean, you guys seem really concerned about bad players, and we are as well. So I think it's all of our responsibilities to educate people what they should be vaping. Um, you know, and just not even, and it doesn't even have to be that significant, just signs to look for, you know, things you should be aware of. Like I said, if you're walking in somewhere and somebody's got open containers out on a counter and mixing stuff for you right then and there, that should throw up a red flag. You know, it, there was actually, there was a few years ago, uh, I want to say it was five or six years ago, there were, uh, in my hometown in Bloomington, Indiana, um, th there were uh, some instances of a couple of convenience stores uh, that were selling uh, cigarettes that had uh, illegal tamp uh, tax stamps on them. Um, they were literally, they were coming from overseas and they were slapping something on them and selling them and they had, that's all they sold were, were cigarettes. And uh, I actually remember there being uh, signs and kind of pamphlets that came out from ATC that actually talked about how to check for a lawful product and a lawful tax stamp. I do believe that as, as uh, an association and as an industry, we do need to, to uh, do what we can uh, to educate. Uh, honestly, we didn't know how we can advertise and, and, and give that information to the public because, you know, uh, traditional tobacco products are banned from marketing on television and, and uh, in magazines and things like that. And we discovered the other day um, uh, the views is actually being advertised on TV now. So I think maybe we can actually come together and, and run some TV commercials to educate people Absolutely. or have signs and things like that, and association stickers for the good players in the industry. But I think one of the benefits um, from Senator Yoder's bill is is that now we're going to know who the manufacturers are and who the retailers are and the bad players will have to go away. They won't be able to operate in a storefront. They won't be able to operate in a place like that um, because you won't have the, the certificate. You won't have a manufacturer's permit. You'll never hear me say regulation is a good thing, but maybe in this case it's, it's, it's not so bad. <laughs> maybe it's necessary. It may not be fun, but it may be necessary. No, one of the things you talk about advertising and one of the concerns always with cigarettes. All right, uh, so there's there's more than that, but um, I mean, it, at that point before the law went down, um, it was being portrayed uh, by, uh, I guess, uh, Eric and, I'm uh, sorry, Evan and, and Hoosier Vapors as a necessary thing to get the bad actors out. Unfortunately, I am not aware of anywhere in the world at any time ever where a bathtub juice has been made. It, it doesn't happen. When he made the point about squirting bottles and stuff like that, I, I'm not aware of people using ketchup bottles either. Uh, the problem that I see here, and, and what, again, I'm going to go back to, to, to Christian from, from Kassab, because I, I've had... Uh, well-intended and, and good debates with her on a variety of different topics and she's a very thoughtful thoughtful woman she has made the point to me before is 
never concede, never give up, uh, never, never uh, take the first bite of the apple because of what, you know, the dominoes that could fall through. And so when I found this, it just blew me away uh, because uh, they're sitting down prior to the bill talking on, on, on a forum which is going to be seen by every single legislature that is inter- that, that's interested in this bill and they've conceded. They've said we've got our, our modifications in and this is okay. Uh, this is reasonable. Um, and you know they seem to be only concerned with the um, with the security company and nothing else. Um, so um, I, I think that this is this is important for every single state uh, to take the example of what has happened in Indiana and and when something is happening is is to not negotiate so friendly uh, and so uh, amenable with the legislatures that are, are about to put in a death nail to the vaping industry in Indiana and um, you might have, you might have, you know, by the negotiation, stopped the the slit to your throat to be so deep to where you die in thirty seconds, and instead it's going to take five minutes because you're got your hand on your your artery and you're holding it for as long as you can so you won't bleed out. Uh, but this this case is before you're dead scream bloody murder again what what the Hoosier stuff is is it's kind of a history lesson of of what can be done and not done and I and so this is gonna be you know kind of my mantra for the year it's that if you are in a state create a state chapter with Safada do not create a state chapter with anybody else uh, if you have something with somebody else give it a shot uh, uh, already uh, I mean there there's some states like Tennessee which is a huge tobacco growing state I think it's number two or number three in the nation people you know tobacco is a cash crop for that state if you live in Tennessee you are not going to get nailed as much as somebody in Indiana California Washington Chicago or otherwise uh, but uh, if if you can join Safada and and it's not an if you can you can join Safada and use the shared learning from them um, and so I it, it's just uh, at this point of the fight we need to marshal to one organization and to it, it's does that mean that other organizations should be decommissioned and put to the side when it comes to the national level yeah let's just cut to the chase yeah. Uh, there's no reason for Vista. Um, you know, it's just a duplicative effort of other organizations, and you don't get that shared learning. Uh, so uh, we can talk about this later. And I'm reaching out to uh, to uh, basically Safada, and I'm going to try and get them on the air. Um, some other people I've been reaching out to next week uh, as a as an interesting feature. Uh, I am going to try and. Uh, have Vapor Joe on, so um, that'll that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. Uh, hopefully, all right. So uh, another thing that we saw that that happened this week uh, is that a warning letter was sent out by the FDA to Liquid Vape. 
and what Liquid Vape had done is that they had put on their um, their labels that they had FDA approved flavorings. Now, what's the deal with that? Everybody, you know, is all concerned about the FDA and having anything associated with the FDA. And uh, this company uh, actually put in FDA approved ingredients. Uh, and so as normal with Facebook, uh, people uh, scream bloody murder. I, I watched some posts that uh, were on Demetrius's page where, you know, people were saying good riddance, get these people out of the industry. And, and, that, and that is just inappropriate. Um, so let's take a look at the actual FDA letter itself. Uh, so first of all, you have to think of it. Are they FDA-approved flavorings? Well, actually, they are. Uh, there's something called the Flavor Extract Manufacturing Association, and they have something called GRAS, generally uh, regarded as SAFE, G-R-A-S, GRAS. Uh, and the flavorings that they put out, um, the FEMA has a special relationship with the FDA, and where basically FEMA can say, hey, this is safe, and the FDA does the rubber stamp and says boom we agree now maybe there's some ones that uh, are, are a little more deleterious where they have to have a back and forth but in general FEMA gets its way and um, so when you buy a bottle of Diet Coke it could have a zillion artificial flavors in it and it has one topic line that says artificially flavored could be 2500 different things in there uh, so obviously, uh, in looking at getting things past the PMTA process, this is something that we all have to be very focused on, is how will the FDA regard artificial, artificial flavorings? Will it treat them like the standards for food, for inhalation products, or not? So I, I don't want to get too deep in uh, you know what the, the FDA-approved flavorings are, but they are FDA-approved flavorings. So what's the deal we we don't have a deeming uh well, sorry, let me say again we have a deeming but we don't have a final rule so these products are actually uh not under the purview of the fda currently as we talk right now so that's what blue you know that's what i needed to check so what they say uh is that they understand that these are not covered uh yet by chapter nine of the Tobacco Control Act, which is the thing that's gonna be affecting us. And I'm looking at their their letter right now. It is your responsibility, it, it says one thing, it is your responsibility to ensure that your tobacco products and all related labeling and advertising on your website or any websites and other media uh, 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 and each comply with each applicable version, <laughs> provision of the FDA, uh, FDC Act and FDA's implementing regulations. Again, there is no final rule yet. And so people are, are, are bashing this, this, this company uh, for, for labeling things as FDA approved flavorings. Um, and this is not an uncommon thing. Um, and it's not, it's, I don't think it's that bad and, and how do I explain that it's it's something that it's like USP uh, it's a USP ingredient they're trying to describe that 
they're using a certain level of standard of ingredients and in this case they're using ingredients from a flavor house that at least are everything in the bottle that the flavor house provides to this vendor has met the food grade standard now there is no inhalation standard um, and and that's kind of where uh, we'll talk a little bit about FEMA in a little bit so again what's the problem why is the FDA acting on tobacco products that are not officially declared tobacco products because there is no final rule so if you look at the letter this is what they say and they're going to something I believe it's chapter 21 of the FDC the FD food FD and the C Act uh, uh, and so it says making any expressed or implied statement or representing representation directed to customers with respect to a tobacco product in a label or labeling through the media advertising that either either conveys or misleads or would mislead customers into believing that one the product is approved by the FDA two the FDA uh, deems that product to be safe for use with customers three the product is endorsed by the FDA for use by its customers and and then so I think all of those this doesn't really um, the FDA approved ingredient still hasn't done that so so it's the fourth one that I think that they're they're doing so they're they're taking a different act rather than the Tobacco Control Act and they're saying that they're they're declaring that e-cigarettes e-liquids are a tobacco product although they are not currently so here's where I think this has done us a favor uh, because what I'm calling this company is essentially a canary in the coal mine is that they really can't go and do this yet although they're gonna do it and they, they can't, they're, they're, they're doing it uh, so if you want to spend the time to go to, to go to court and say it's not a tobacco product yeah whatever but they 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 they've jumped they've jumped the gate a little bit they they've jumped they've jumped the starting line but here's this part where i think that it's going to be useful to understand and that's the fourth item which says the product is safe or less harmful by virtue of its regulation or inspection by the FDA or its compliance with regulatory requirements set by the Food and Drug Administration. So because it, it the, anything that if it's been done as inspected by the FDA, if it would give the user a, a perception that is less harmful by virtue of that inspection by the FDA or by compliance to an FDA standard, that's where the problem is it's not saying that it's an FDA approved product it's saying that an ingredient is in compliance with the FDA ipso facto or whatever the right term is then the product is safe so some people are going to listen to this right now and go uh, no shit idiot uh, we all knew this they should have never put uh, the FDA down there in the first place they're idiots I'm an idiot everybody is an idiot and good riddance and that's that's literally what I saw some of the people saying you know get this company out of the industry and all other crap uh, here's where 
this will be used, you know, when the demon comes out, it will be used with other prongs. Uh, so this is just one prong that they have available, and they've shown their cards. Here's where I think that it might be important for other items. There's the United States Pharmacopoeia, USP. And USP is kind of this weird body that is part of the FDA but it's not part of the FDA but it's kind of part of the FDA uh, and there's a whole it, it's it's uh, I, I would it's been a while since I looked at it. it's been it's been about a year and a half since I looked at the the US United States uh, pharmacopoeia their their website but they have this this unique relationship with the FDA so here's the concern is will they then take this and say that the USP designator in regards to ingredients is also the same as the FDA label it is quite possible um, that they could um, and so that's something that we'll have to figure out if if they're going to do the same thing with the FDA then people are going to have to pull off the USP it's going to be the, the same thing in this case this store was or, or company that makes e-liquids was very responsible and they've already resolved this with the FDA they are now in compliance and they've posted that on the Facebook they've issued a, a, a mea copa falling on their sword apology which you know it's fine if they want to apologize but they don't need to because in this case, the fact that they were targeted first uh, is useful data uh, to everybody else. So, uh, you know, the outcome from this is um, there are other acts other than the Tobacco Control Act that the FDA will be regulating with. That shouldn't really surprise people, but, but they, it did surprise me. They've already done it by declaration that e-liquids are a tobacco product before the deeming so here's a day it's a good data point it's something to use it's something that people can get out ahead of am I possibly worrying that the USP designation is a problem um, I, I could be totally wrong on it I, I it could be just a nervous Nelly response by me um, but if it needs to be pulled off it's it's not the worst thing in the world um, and maybe we'll have to evaluate different companies for their standards of purity and nicotine and stuff and and have some sort of um, I'll, I'll pull a name out of a hat aims a uh, validation of certain things uh, for ingredients getting way way ahead of myself uh, but that is um, that's what's going on with that so the the next topic uh, as I uh, will attempt to glance back at chat without blowing up my my audio uh, all right uh, so uh, the next topic is going to be uh, Vince in Australia and uh, this this is uh, uh, Vince um, let me see if I can pull his name here uh, his full name Vander it's not Vander, it's, uh, let me get his name, Vince Van Herden. Uh, and this is the guy that uh, back about five years ago, he was selling uh, some uh, products, uh, some basically Sigalikes and maybe some Egos uh, and uh, Ego Tees, I believe they were. Uh, and he had his inventory s snagged. Uh, and uh, it was probably, I think, maybe $5,000 worth of inventory. I'm not exactly sure what the number is. 
he they 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 said that because he was selling a product that appears to be uh, a cigarette that he that he was breaking the law because there's a law that was passed in 2004 that said that uh, if it is not a tobacco product and that's the key point if it's not a tobacco product then if it looks like smoking such as a, a, a toy cigarette a candy cigarette or something that appears to be a, like a cigarette it's banned um, and so uh, he he fought the case and he started up a GoFundMe and and I believe he'd lost it and then he appealed it again and the news out is that he appealed it uh, again and the news out is that it, he he got squashed uh, they they reinstated the charges or they they said the fines were good and um, he's out there uh, saying that this might cause him bankruptcy which is a very bad thing. Um, and he's gone on uh, once with Kevin and uh, two or three times with Russ and both of them uh, were really early on this and they they got a lot of people to push money over to the GoFundMe uh, which hopefully gave him uh, you know it was over a hundred thousand dollars and enough resources uh, to fight it what today uh, is that uh, Adam Williams over there uh, I believe he's in the UK uh, posted a link to the actual full judicial decision by the appellate court. So what the heck, I decided to read it. And so what what the problem is, is that the way the law is written, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start with the conclusion, is that Vince had no chance of ever winning this case. Uh, the lawyers should have told him that. If they were smart lawyers, if they were wise lawyers, they would have said, don't fight this take your lump, your $1,700 fine, get into another industry and walk away because you are not going to change this. Now there's there's people that are going to go, well, geez, you know, how do we instigate change? How do we as people, as citizens of the world, all hug and sing kumbaya and, and change these laws if we're not Vince or other people in strange and far lands in Australia don't stand up and fight the good fight uh, for all of us. Uh, I understand that uh, it's a good story, but if you are the Vince, and I've been the Vince at times uh, on different things, if you're the Vince, you're, you're, you're fucked. I mean, this guy is talking about doing bankruptcy, so nobody should do a fight like this if it's going to destroy them or it's going to harm them. And his lawyers had an absolute duty to tell him, dude, you, you can't win this. And, and and so what the appellate court, if you look at the document, and if you've ever read an appellate brief, it's kind of interesting because they, they give you everything you need to know about the case and exactly how uh, the case is settled, determined, and what their determination is. So in this case, the both sides agreed that it was not a tobacco product because if it was a tobacco product, it would be legal the law would not have no application in this case it was only for things that are not tobacco products so ironically if Vince and his lawyers would have argued that it was a tobacco product and they and they made they said well heck it has nicotine therefore it's a tobacco product the same what they're doing in the United States if he made the argument that we don't want in the United States over in Australia then then he would have been okay. Uh, he would have been supported by the law. In this case, everybody agreed that they're not 
uh, both sides agreed that they are not tobacco products. So then the question became, um, you know, does it look like a cigarette? And, you know, uh, they had different things. Does it look like the physical act of a cigarette? Well, the cigalikes did. Uh, and does does a ego and some of these other things that, that are larger look like a cigarette? No, maybe a cigar, but not necessarily a cigarette. This is kind of before box mods and before large tube mods. Uh, so, but it does look like a cigarette. So they, they kind of have that. Um, and so if you, what in the appellate decision that they, they cited is that during the parliamentary discussion of what things would be included in this law, yes or no, they brought up, would a herbal cigarette, an herbal cigarette, you know, whatever, if you want to smoke parsley, not, not marijuana, not a drug, just a, a actual herb, uh, if you wanted to smoke incense, wood uh, or dandelions, whatever you wanted to. If you wanted to smoke an herbal cigarette, would that be covered by this law? Would an herbal cigarette look like smoking and therefore be against the law? They said when in the parliamentary debate, and they cited that, is they said yes, an herbal cigarette would be banned because it looks like a cigarette. And so that's where you, it didn't, it didn't, they anticipated that it would preclude new products coming to the market that looked like tobacco products that were not tobacco products and decided to ban them. They, they, they used an example in the legislative record that said an herbal cigarette. So there's really no difference between an herbal cigarette and a vape. You know, yes, one is combusted and one is not combusted, but they're talking about toys, candy cigarettes, and, and whatever else, if it looks like a cigarette. So that's the way the law is written. If it looks like a cigarette and is not a cigarette, the answer is no, you can't sell it. So um, what, what happened is, is he lost. And, and the, there's like three different appellate uh, opinions, and they are all just rock solid. They're all tight as can be there's no way ever this thing is going to get reversed and and it boils down to if you want to fight the good fight don't use a lawyer uh the, a lawyer in this particular case could never win at any point so when Vince went off and talked to whatever lawyers, whether they, you know, maybe these are young buck lawyers that wanted to get a name for themselves as a hot product. If they can just win this case, you know, this will be a great feather in their resume. Maybe it's that. Maybe they're just idiots. Maybe they're really ugly lawyers that wanted this guy's money and they didn't really care about this client. What they should have done is a negotiation they should have got this guy. It was basically an auto accident. He was driving in his car. He crashed it. He didn't have insurance. He lost 10,000 uh, bucks. Fortunately, he's in the heel. Move on. Get on with your life. And you know, if you want to start a, a campaign, start a campaign. And, and the reason why is that the only way to change this in Western Australia, and that's one thing, it doesn't apply to all parts of Australia. It, it, it applies to the Western Australia province. If, if, if you want to change this, you have to go to the legislature and the legislature has to change the law. 
you have absolutely zero chance of going to court and having the court reverse the the legal and lawful legislative law. They, they weren't making an argument that this was an unconstitutional law. They could have, I suppose, but they, they, didn't, they weren't doing that. And so Vince lost the case. Uh, and so that's what it is. So um, there's no way, um, and, and I'd welcome any lawyer to tell me anything differently, but there's absolutely no way he could have ever won. And, and moreover, is that now with this decision, there's absolutely no way he can win. And there, it, there's no, it, so if Vince is listening, which I doubt, but give up on this. If you want to do something to change the law, you need to go to the legislators. You need a different law. You need the law to be amended. That's the only way. Um, so I think a lot of people can feel good um, about themselves, uh, particularly Russ and particularly Kevin and and everybody that contributed to Vince. Uh, because the last time I looked, I think it had about 110, 105, over $100,000 was contributed to him. And at one point, about four months ago, Russ had a show. I had him back on, and I think he needed another five thousand dollars to get it to the, get it to this final stage, and he got that money. Uh, so obviously, he would have to pony up the hundred thousand dollars off by himself. Um, so I, I surely hope he's not bankrupted by this. I'm sure. I mean, when he was on with Russ, he was depressed, and you know. Uh, that's what happens with these uh, evil trial lawyers is that they will stick somebody uh, so hard uh, that it, it'll be a depressing and a life-changing event. Um, and so I sure hope that uh, that is not the case for Vince. And I hope that the $100,000 helped him out a lot and that he's not so damaged from, from this that it's going to affect his life. Um, but... Um, and so I think Russ will probably have him back on, and uh, that's the news of it. I'm going to talk about the Not Blowing Smoke study that was done and published in the British Medical Journal, one of the oldest medical journals on the face of the earth. It quite possibly could be the oldest medical journal longstanding ever. This is this is the Brits. They used to, uh, the sun never set on them, and... It's, it's a big deal, a British American journal, a medical journal. So in their addiction portion of tobacco control, what was published was a study from the Keck School of Medicine, University of Southern California, Los Angeles. Dr. John Patrick Alman from the Keck School of University is the, the lead author. And what they did is that they studied NBS, or not blowing smoke, because they were jaw-dropped at the effectiveness of it. And honestly, this is, this is, this blows me away. This is just as, I mean, it's like going to a county fair and whacking a mallet against one of those bell things. And it's a, it's like a 30 feet tall and people hit the mallet over and over again and nobody ever rings their bell. And in this case, Stefan, Deanne, and I'm not going to remember everybody else's names uh, on not blowing smoke, but they hit they hit them so hard their their bell rang, and they thought 
they would have to study to figure out what went wrong. And they did just that. They did a study of Twitter to figure out what happened. And so basically, uh, NBS, uh, not, I don't have to, have to say it, uh, California Department of Public Health came out with a whole campaign, a 7 to $10 million yearly campaign with a total $50 million budget that was to put out commercials. These commercials were put out. Everybody's seen them, the... Uh, the uh, candy man, they, they put candy, they, they put all a bunch of these things, and then they ran these commercials on children's television. They ran them on American Idol, they ran them on, uh, on uh, The Voice and other shows, uh, which were the family hour uh, of television, shows that they know children would be watching. So for, for in California, many children's first exposure to electronic cigarettes was from the California Department of Public Health. They and the the weirdest thing is they ran these commercials and and they they had they spent a lot of money on these commercials and they made vaping look hip. And and even if you were to watch the ones with uh, with what's her face, I'm forgetting her name right now, the blue ones with uh, that beautiful blonde former Playboy model. I forgot her name. Anyway, she used to be on MTV too. Uh, she, the the uh, uh, I'm forgetting it uh, anyway the, she didn't even vape in her blue commercials um, and so they show they're showing you know young adults vaping and they're it, it, you know slow motion shots and, and they made vaping look cooler than it actually is and, and so they they ran these commercials on TV and they had this whole campaign and it was called the still blowing smoke campaign and there was a website that they created and they bought google traffic so there you know if you search on the word vape at least for me i'm in california the first thing that pops up is a paid advertising google link to still blowing smoke does that to this day so they're spending a ton of money on on getting clicks and so they ran this thing out there and so what stefan did uh is that he uh before the launch of this campaign, essentially created a site, not the original was called Still Blowing Smoke, created Not Blowing Smoke, and um, decided that uh, people should hear the information that was accurate. And so, if they, and so to, to wind up that part of the story, is that uh, the, the traffic uh, was roughly equal for the first day between both sites uh, for the first day maybe two days still blowing smoke had one it, it was higher and in and the units of measure here uh, in in the in the graph that was published in the journal uh, for, for the first day uh, there's 2500 units compared to 2000 units for not blowing smoke the next day they are exactly the same the next day they're, they're still trending exactly the same online and then after that not blowing smoke takes over it, it you know the it takes about I'm looking at it right now it takes about a month and after about a month uh, the still blowing smoke flatlines absolutely flatlines and meanwhile the uh, not blowing smoke campaign is averaging 500 the whole way through uh, and that's just a, a mean average of of them it, it just just it keeps on going um, so basically 
a seven. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna round up because I saw that they they were allocated 45 to 50 million for the whole campaign over a number of years and and it's been a number it's been over it's been exactly a year now so they spent about 10 million dollars on this and they were outdone as far as twitter and for some reason the scientists these days want to study twitter so here is what uh Here's the background. If you look at the abstract, it says social media presents opportunities for public health departments to galvanize interest in health issues. A challenge is, cre is creating content that will resonate with target audiences and determining reactions to educational material. This is, this is to me, it's Orwellian when they talk about determining reactions to educational, you know, educational material should be educational they shouldn't be trying to determine the action back to what the abstract says Twitter can be used as a real-time surveillance system to capture individuals immediate reactions to education campaigns and such information could lead to better campaigns in the future a case study testing Twitter's potential presented itself when the California Department of Public Health launched its still blowing smoke media campaign about the potential I love this about the potential harmful effects of e-cigarettes you would think that they would they would be educating about harmful effects not potential because everything is a potential pro e-cigarette advocacy groups in response launched a counter campaign titled not blowing smoke this study tracked the popularity of two campaigns on Twitter analyzed the uh, the content of the messages and determined who was involved in these discussions then it talks about the methods uh, the study period was from March 22nd 2005 to June 27th 2005 a stratified sampling uh, procedure uh, supplemented supplied 2192 tweets for analysis content analysis identified pro anti neutral e-cigarette tweets and five additional themes marketing elements money regulation slash propaganda health and other uh, metadata was analyzed to obtain additional information about Twitter accounts so the next part of the abstract is results not blowing smoke was referred more frequently than still blowing smoke on Twitter messages commonly objected to government regulation of e-cigarettes refuted claims that e-cigarette manufacturers were aligned with big tobacco and touted the health benefits of e-cigarette use e-cigarette companies and vape shops used campaign slogans hashtags to communicate with their customers on Twitter so the one thing that jumps out to me is that they are saying that one of the things that the California Department of Public Health designed this campaign to do was to portray e-cigarette manufacturers as being aligned with big tobacco so that was the message that they wanted the public to think then they wanted to quantify that by examining Twitter and because not blowing smoke interjected itself they are dumbfounded and want to find out why the public might not have been completely sold on the idea that vaping is 
big tobacco. That's, I mean, I hate that stuff. Uh, you know, any scientist hates that stuff. And so if you think back to what Leno was doing when he was making his arguments, his arguments was always that theme is that e-cigarette manufacturers are big tobacco. And he would make comments about the 250 people that came on. He said, oh, these anecdotal people here are nice, but we know that this is big tobacco trying to hook kids. That's the study. Now, here is the conclusions of this published in a peer-reviewed medical journal, the oldest medical journal ever. Findings show that time dynamics of Twitter and the possibility of real-time monitoring of education campaigns... I don't even know what that means. The, their conclusion again is findings showed the time dynamics of Twitter and the possibility of real-time monitoring of educational campaigns. Well, I guess I understand a little bit more. They are there. That's basically things talking about it at, at, at the top, where the background is. They're saying Twitter can be used as a real-time surveillance system to capture individuals' immediate reactions to education campaigns, and such information could lead to better campaigns in the future. So, um, there's also a, a Dr. Uh, Jackler, I believe his name is, uh, over at Stanford University that is an expert uh, on you know, uh, tobacco advertising, and he has also taken up the cause of uh, against e-cigarettes, uh, there's something going on with with uh, him and NBS because there was this is the second study to be published uh, on not blowing smoke. Um, so I'm gonna get the actual full copy of this uh, of this research um, because there there's there's got to be better information more more stuff in here uh, when I look at the actual thing uh, but uh, I, I don't know I, I you know uh, I have to reach out uh, and I have actually uh, to Stefan because this to me uh, I, I was saying that I'm surprised that other people aren't as uh, tickled a, a, as I am about seeing this 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 is such a trophy it, it's it's uh, it's thrown a gigantic monkey wrench in the mechanism of uh, bogus meta studies done by by people uh, and and bogus uh, ways of skewing the data. For example, um, something that Greg Connolly has talked about a, a lot is that they will take data and say, "Have to a to a kid, have you ever tried an e-cigarette?" Or have you used an e-cigarette in the last 30 days or 60 days? And and if a kid was at a party, and and yes, believe it or not, 16-year-olds do go to parties, uh, and they were handed an e-cigarette and took a puff and did not do anything else. They just take took a puff and they said, eh, I don't like it. If they were then an honest student and then the, the people came in to survey them and the, the question says, have you smoked an e-cigarette in the past 30 days? And they said yes, because they they smoked one, they, they or they vaped one. Let's not get on that one. But they, they vaped one. Uh, then they, they will take that as a data point that that kid is a ongoing, 
user of electronic cigarettes and then they'll build that into their data and that will become a, a, a data point and then they'll aggregate multiple things like that and that's called a multiple a meta study and then they'll stick that thing out and it goes on the New York Times this here the what not blowing smoke did just just threw a monkey wrench in that whole thing uh, and 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 to, to me also that, that it, it threw a monkey wrench in the tools used by the politicians and the uh, what we often called the anti-vaping groups uh, or the body part groups uh, it just threw a, a dramatic uh, monkey wrench into it um, so just just hats off this 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 should be framed and put up on a wall uh, you know put a gold rim or it was just just spectacular uh, I can I, uh, I'm still laughing. I saw this two days ago, and I just, I, just every time I think about, you know, some guy in a lab coat studying Twitter to figure out why a $10 million campaign was diffused by, uh, you know, a, a guy up in Oakley and, 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 you know, and the world's most famous home office. Uh, just, just, it's funny. Um, so that's that topic. And I'm going to go back. I honestly uh, cannot look at chat when I'm on, when I'm talking. I lose my train of thought more than I already am. So let me look back at here. Oh, Jenny McCarthy, that is her name. Let me give an update uh, on a on the, some of the law stuff uh, which is going on. I, I mentioned last week that there is a long-standing lawsuit that has been propagated against Enjoy under the premise that propylene glycol and vegetable glycerin, PG and VG, are carcinogens. And that's what the lawsuit argues. Um, and so they, they tried to sue for a class action. The court said, you don't have a class. And then... Uh, they kicked it back out and uh, a new judge came on and they said you don't have a class you you know you can sue for your two clients get your hundred dollars back or whatever they spent on their e-cigs uh, but uh, you can't sue as representing a large class um, and so what happened uh, in this enjoy case or satara if you will is that the the Wolf Halderstein, uh, who is suing multiple industry players, uh, and, and and there's like a there's like a, a pack of these uh, hyenas that are that are going after people um, that that uh, multiple law firms uh, they they asked for a stay of the case and essentially to have it stopped uh, just put it you know essentially put it in a deep freeze and they'll come back to it and reinvigorate it and the judge basically said no uh, you know you try you know your class is gone try your case or fold you know do whatever you want the they came back now and are, are saying that they want the judge to stay the case because there is a case in the Ninth Circuit that is that they believe is applicable to their damages model and to have that for the case to just wait until this other case is uh, determined and so that they will uh, 
they'll uh, just have to wait until the, the, the appeals court makes a determination on this topic of class actions. Um, and so that's kind of where it, that's where it stands. Now I've read some uh, from some things from Monday where uh, some of the the legal blogs are just rolling over this stuff, uh, and they they think that um, well, let me just uh, uh, this is a uh, California rejects class certification uh, claims. Um, that's the title of this, uh, and I'm just gonna skim through it. It's a long little article. A handful of hopeful customers claimed that they were misled by an e-cigarette's labeling and were not warned about the ingredients or risks. As is often the case with these type of class actions, however, the plaintiffs did not allege an injury. Well, at least not a physical injury. They suffered no side effects, no physical ailments. The risks didn't affect them. What are they claiming? It's rarely easy to get your arms around claims like this, but the pl the plaintiffs purchased the product. It did not. It did what it was supposed to do, and the plaintiff plaintiffs enjoyed it. In fact, many plaintiffs uh, would have purchased the e-cigarettes even if the ingredients and alleged risks were disclosed. They said that on the stand in depositions. So again, what? And this is back to the article. So again, what exactly is the claim? Since we can't figure that out, bring out the economists. Why not? No group of professionals carries with it greater public confidence in in their ability to bring clarity to confusions. Economists are easy to understand, helpful, and rarely wrong. Right? So they tell us how uh, these plaintiffs were damaged. So it turns out that the plaintiffs paid too much for e-cigarettes. The economists were able to determine this easily using a conjoint analysis, a direct analysis, and of course a Bayesian, a Bayesian hedonic regression. Ah, this is what this guy's saying. Uh, so uh, what uh, what are these things? First, you ask. Well, first of all, don't worry. A, a co-joint analysis isn't something that happens in the back of Cheech and Chong's smoke-filled van. It's an echo, <laughs> econometric analysis. Well, to be simpler, it appears to be a survey. Direct analysis is sort of a survey too. As applied by economists in the Enjoy case, direct analysis involved questions to e-cigarette consumers intended to uncover how they would pay for additional safety. The co-joint analysis <laughs> asked consumers to make a series of choices between e-cigarettes and with different attributes and the Bayesian hedonic regression which is a drinking game in Cancun uses prices from the e-cigarette market a regression analysis that measured uh, values of certain e-cigarette attributes and to conjoint analysis survey results taking all that into account the, econ the economists developed a, a value of safety and proper warnings simple right I'm sure you feel confident that the economists got it right, establishing precisely how much each plaintiff was overpaid. Well, you're not. Well, we don't feel bad. You're not alone. Uh, so then they start to talk about uh, the other cases, uh, and uh, the court denies it. Uh, worst of all, at least uh, from a trial tactics point of view, one of the plaintiff's own experts already conceded that Bayesian hedonic regression would not be appropriate in the context of the e-cigarette market because the market isn't sufficiently stable. That's game. That's a game over admission, and the court rejected the analysis too. So now, what what the lawyers and the blogs are talking about is how they are asking the court 
to wait for an appellate decision on a different case even though they can't establish that the appellate case is directly attributable to the Enjoy case. So uh, they are fighting tooth and nail on this and because without a class action these cases are meaningless. If when the when the class action goes away then it's you know if, if then it becomes a, a problem if an e-cigarette blows up and an individual is harmed and then you know on an individual case or if they or, or something else like that but it without a class action uh, the lawyers go away that's that's where they get their money um, and so that's where the enjoy case stands now if enjoy which it's it's winding up now but there'll be a decision on whether the appellate the 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 ninth district appellate court has to uh, make its determination before this case goes forward. If the judge says, which I would expect the judge to do, go pound sand, either bring your case or don't, don't talk to me about a, an appellate thing, um, that this case will, will get determined by the judge. And then if these guys want to wait for the other case and then appeal this or complain that the judge threw it out, uh, they can do all these sort of games, uh, but it's going to be game over for class action lawsuits because of Enjoy. So again, for the people, I, I got to thank Enjoy. I, I mean, people are complained about them on different things. They they did the Sotera decision for the uh, the FDA, and they they they're going to by my appraisal and by what everything I see, I think they're going to kill the class action against e-liquid uh, and somebody's gonna have to pay a ton of money to come up with a better theory than this so that's a real contribution to the industry uh, I know a few people over at enjoy uh, I'm gonna try and reach out to them of course most companies act let's say it another way all companies don't want to talk about their legal cases if they can so they're not gonna talk to me uh, but uh, so that's that's what's happened there so it, some people are going to say, well, it's just Enjoy. Uh, it's not me. Uh, why should I care about them? Well, it's because it, without the class action, it's a big deal. Such a big deal. Such a big deal. That Cutwood has recently been sued. I don't know if people are aware of that. Cutwood was sued by associates or associated firms with the same set of lawyers. Again, a pack of hyenas. They all know each other. They're working together. The stuff reads the same, 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 same. They're they're not technically on the case, but they are on the case. You know, it's Cutwood and and a few other companies were sued uh, on very similar claims. And what's happened in the Cutwood case is that the plaintiff just dropped it. They just walked away. It's done. Cutwood is no longer being sued. The case is over. And I think that is thanks to Enjoy because those lawyers took an appraisal and they said, we're, you know, they're two years into this process. We're three months into this process. We'll fold. And they folded and walked away. Whatever side deals, you know, as far as uh, legal fees and stuff, it's done. It's the case is dead. There's some other cases that are rolling through the courts now. Um, and um, I'm not going to talk about those, I don't think, uh, today. I was I was intending to talk about uh, diacetyl uh, in the aggregate, uh, and I don't think I'm going to do it today because it wouldn't do it justice. Um, 
other than to say, um, let me. I'll talk a little bit about diacetyl. Um, it's I, I, I've taken a reappraisal of of diacetyl um, from my earlier positions, and um, and that's because I've read the mice data, and and I I was concerned about it, um, and. I was also concerned for a long time that diacetyl uh, or diacetyl, whichever you want to call it, and the associated acetylpropanol, um, that I, I was always concerned about it uh, from the earliest Reddit post and then Dr. F came out with this study um, and you know when I first saw it I took it on faith uh, but I then uh, that when it was pre-release I took it on faith and then when it was put out on smoke-free radio um, that some very odd things came out Demetrius said that he would refuse now wait a second I don't want to get anybody upset Demetrius who was listed in the study and picked all the e-liquids out uh, and thanked in the study said he had nothing to do with what Dr. F uh, Dr. Farsalinas did and um, whether or not Dr. Farsalinos published in his study the background data of what the testing actually showed um, had nothing to do with with him, but uh, that's so he said. Uh, so you have to publish the background data in a peer-reviewed journal because the whole point of a peer review is that a different scientist can pick it up and look at the raw data and say well because of this raw data I can replicate it and because I can replicate it I can endorse it I can review it I can say this is a valid mechanism that was never done um, it was it was hidden from the public it was hidden from vapors even though it was a crowdfunded thing it was not put out there um, ironically Harvard then put out that data and even though um, and I, I'm not going to talk in depth, I, this will have to be for a different show, but what Harvard put out, if you look at the background data, it's actually very good. Only one of the items had a diacetyl at a level that was over the Dr. F levels. Only one. And, and the way they played the game is they took three different things. They took uh, acetylpropanol, diacetyl, and I think it was acetoin or or uh, acetylene or, or whatever these are, just a different one and then the headline said uh, something like 60% has one of these different things well uh, so they had three columns and then they could pick each one and then some of them had like two parts per million and that that counted as the 60% so they played games with the raw data uh, it's something that you know uh, I, I've, I've published uh, at least on CASA if you consider that publishing it uh, some of the analysis of those numbers that was never able to be done with Dr. F and so uh, I'm going to look back here because I'm going to lose the phone lines uh, and I want to just look to see if there's the same two callers and so I'm not going to uh, try and pick up on them now um, 60 seconds I believe would come next um, so I like I like everybody else was, was concerned about this 
and so I looked at some of the rat studies and um, I also it took me I would say a full year but after it was published it was only after the Dr. F study was published for a full year that the actual full study was put out and then you could actually see the the numbers of how things were calculated and then you you can apply that with the Harvard study and then you end up with saccharin uh, and for people that aren't old enough uh, to remember saccharin which is the pink tabs was yanked off the market by the FDA in the 70s I believe it was in and it and people freaked out I mean because there was no other artificial sweetener it, that, it was it was back to sugar and there was health nuts that believed in things like tab tab soda ruled the day back in the 70s tab ruled the day you could go into a bar and ask for tab and the barkeep would pull a can of tab out that's how predominant you know it was the diet coke before diet coke existed and they killed it the tab is dead uh, out of this and, and so the fda pulled it off the market and then eventually after a whole bunch of analysis they determined that they were essentially giving each individual rat about 10 pounds of saccharin each day in order to provide uh, to cause the tumors so a human would have to eat 10 pounds of saccharin a day to get the same effect well what dr farsalinos has been saying is that it's an avoidable risk so let's all avoid it and um, you know it's that can be said about everything walking out of your house the first day every morning is an avoidable risk if you stay in your house you're not going to get in your car you're not going to be exposed to traffic and you can avoid being hit by other cars by simply staying in your house all day long uh, so the it's the avoidable risk uh, and everything is avoidable risk and then as as Greg Conley likes to say the dose makes the poison so does the amount of diacetyl in vaping reach the levels of harm that Dr. F is espousing well if you look at his actual study NIOSH uh, National Institutes of Occupational Safety and Hazard, basically the federal OSHA, wrote a letter into the journal that Dr. F did not provide the background you know, data to. And they said, Dr. F, you're wrong. You used sleeping respiratory rates for, for people when you should have been using active respiratory rates. So if you if you look at the numbers, it's 66 parts per million, which Dr. F says is the amount for three mils of juice that acetylpropanol should have. So when Canada uh, goes and says that if an e-liquid has 66 units, that they uh, have determined that they want that product off the shelf if it has 66. So what NIOSH said to Dr. F and wrote into the magazine is that your numbers are wrong you your numbers should be four times higher than they are and that's because the respiratory rate is uh, they basically use somebody on cold storage sleeping 
and they should have been using to compare to the workers, you know, because basically the NIOS uh, numbers, I'm just going to call it OSHA, um, National OSHA, but the OSHA numbers uh, are, um, and it's not Cal OSHA, which is a different organization, the OSHA numbers are for factory workers and somebody that is moving around. So the, the numbers that Dr. F used were four times you know, somebody's sleeping. He used the person that is sleeping. They're not doing anything. And so basically, because Dr. F was using the, the worker exposure for eight hours a day, five days a week, OSHA said, well, yes, we understand what you're doing, but remember, these are workers. They're actually moving around. They're breathing four times the amount uh, that, that you are using in your calculations. So 66 times 4 equals 264. Uh, so when, when people are saying that 66 is the daily level, OSHA is saying it should be 264. And, I, and I'm looking uh, at the reply back from Dr. F to them. And the problem is I, I've only been able to read the, the first page of these things. I asked Dr. F to release these. I did that by uh, tagging him on Facebook uh, to where in, in threads that he was in and uh, was able to respond to. Uh, and uh, I just haven't been able to get anything back from him. Uh, I'm not done. Um, other people told me to give up, but I'm not done yet. Uh, so it, it says, therefore, the, this is Dr. F replied back, therefore, the acceptable daily exposure limit of DA would be 86 UG, uh, which boils down to parts per million, for an 8-hour light and 302 for an 8-hour moderate. So for diacetyl, He's saying here that we've been using 86 and it should be 302. For AP, the respective values would be 182 and 638 per day. So uh, the industry has had a massive freak out and decided that, uh, you know, one vendor will come out, um, you know, uh, and, and move against other uh companies uh, and basically bash the shit out of them and just fuck around with different companies to uh, to screw with them. Uh, oh wait, that's probably not happening like that. I'm being too negative. Sorry. Uh, what, what we've got now is people very upset about levels and people who are making e-liquids are trying to get these numbers down to tiny levels very you know some people are concerned if these numbers are 10 parts per million in in an e-liquid osha has gotten back to dr f and told him your 182 is really 638 and believe me everybody knows that that you know the, there's a lady over at osha that that you know ap and, and diacetyl ever since you know 10 years ago she's been you know, this is her, there's there's a woman over that spoke at the FDA that this is their pet project. Uh, and for good reason. She's trying to protect people. Uh, let's, let's talk about it right now. Diacetyl can harm people. And, you know, if you look at the report uh, that, is, that is put out, it's about a 300-page report on diacetyl. It's a preliminary report by OSHA uh, and IOSH. Uh, they show a person pouring... Um, it's it's not a 50 gallon. It, it's probably 
10-gallon container of pure diacetyl into another thing in a, without a respirator mask. They, OSHA, who, who regulates you know, workers, has a, they're, they're doing something. It needs to be regulated. There, there's reasons why if somebody is pouring vats of pure diacetyl into the factory machinery, they better have respirators on there. So don't, don't hate OSHA uh, completely. They, there, are, there definitely is good things that they are doing. Uh, but they, they, they took a look at this and and this is the gospel as as understood by everyone, um, and, and they're saying it's not 182 for acetylpropanol. It's 638. So I'm pissed. I feel like you know when when I have been researching this stuff and when I've been making my own decisions for my own self and and avoiding all sorts of things and doing all sorts of stuff. I think I've been I think I've been I think I've been messed with, and so um, when I I'm just one of those people that if I'm told that I'm wrong um, I, I will try and find out exactly how I'm wrong. If I find out that I've been bullshitted, I will keep on digging relentlessly like a dog until I find out just exactly how I was fooled because I don't want to let it happen again. Uh, I don't know what, you know, maybe I'm an idiot, uh, but I think this has a dramatic effect uh, on on everything that we've been talking about. And so, you know, I need to get the full letters, uh, but if, if we're talking about 638, and, and, and I need to just double check some of this, uh, not right now, but there might be a back out for these numbers. If, if, if companies have actively put out this information to give their product a leg up on competitors by using it as a labeling advantage to, you know, it's in California, it's called unfair trade practices, uh, and it's called 17200, and ironically, that's the same class action lawsuit suit against other people. It's, I, I, I apologize for California, but this class action lawsuit thing can be used any number of ways it's a terrible law but anyway why do i say it's like saccharin it's because i looked at the mice and i think it's the smoking gun and and this is not going to be the last time i talk about this this is just like a preview um maybe people are listening tonight maybe not but the numbers that were used in the, the rat studies, then there's a debate talking about the whole rats, you know, does, a, does the mice, uh, rats breathe through their noses, so they're, therefore they're getting more filtration because they're, they're inhaling the diacetyl through their nose, that gives them a filter that humans aren't using because they're directly inhaling the vapor into their lungs, so rats are, are more safer than, than humans. Okay, fine, so the, let's say they're uh, twice as safe than humans, let's say they're three times as safe, it's, it, it doesn't make a difference because it's like saccharin. Uh, let's just say they're twice as safe. Um, we're, we've been concerned about 66. The federal government has said that 66 should be more like 302. Or if the, the math that I did just a second ago... 264302. It should really be 260. So if, if you then, then go to the vapor shark thing and you look at all the things that pass, a health care a lot more to pass. Uh, if you look at the vapor shark, you'll also see, uh, if you look at the aggregated list, you'll find out the diacetyl has been removed out of all but maybe 
5% of the products that they sell. Acetylpropanol is in the others. So we've done a fantastic, we, we've successfully removed diacetyl out of the e-liquids. There are some products that still have AP in it at various levels. Back to the smoking gun. Should I just wait till now? I'm not going to do a, a stupid tease thing. If you look at the mouse study, and I'm just going to do this off of memory, I don't have it to look at right now. They took rats and they exposed them to zero, 50, and 150, and 200 parts per million of acetylpropanol in the air. And geez, you know, 200 parts per million in the air, that's, you know, and Dr. F is talking about 66 parts per million. It, that's the problem, is that one is in the e-liquid and the other is there. If you take the math and, do, and you crunch the numbers, you'll find that 200 parts per million is roughly 40,000 times the amount. And so, what number did I just say? Uh, did I say 40,000? Yeah, I, it, when I crunched it, and, it, and it's, again, this is all off of memory. Uh, I, I'll come back and, and, and do it because I did crunch the numbers in Excel. Um, 40,000 times. Uh, so that's, if we're talking about pounds, we're talking about one pound is what we're worried about. And the mice are getting on the top end of 200, 40,000 pounds. Uh, I wish I could figure it out in tons, uh, but one pound versus 40,000. Or if you're one foot off the ground, or if you're 40,000 feet off the ground at 30,000 feet, you can't breathe, you're dead. Uh, and so that's a good example. We're talking about one foot off the ground versus 40,000 feet off the ground. That's why it's like saccharin. And just in case my numbers were crazy, I, I, I did read the study. So if you have, say, a thousand, par, a thousand parts per million in e-liquid and you take 30 mils of it and you and you boil it and you put it all up into the air it's going to provide a little cloud if you take 40,000 times that it's going to be I don't know if you it's barely going to be uh, it's going to hit the dew point where it's going to start raining diacetyl out of the you know I don't, I'm not sure how much air can be suspended it's going to be a very high number it, so it's 40,000 different but I read the studies. I thought I thought I you know I I, I thought it was an avoidable risk and, and all that stuff. Well, the numbers are forty thousand different. So I just did a, a you know because there are really complicated complicated calculators that convert parts per million in in a liquid into a three-dimensional cubic square foot of air so it's one is a liquid one is in a cubic foot of air it's it there's it's tricky uh and if and i suppose if i went to school for this it'd be easy but it's tricky but i i did all the numbers and and it's forty thousand different but i wanted to do a double check so the easy way to do that is to look at the mice and when they gave them 200 parts per million again when they gave the 200 parts per million in the air not the e-liquid in the air half the rats died before they could even cut the little guys open to look at their lungs they died with 200 parts per million 
there's nobody that is vaping at 200 parts per million or even a thousand that dies after eight hours of exposure. Some of them might have been eight hours exposure times five a week. And they're dead before they can even, you know, that's how much diacetyl and, and acetylpropanol they're giving to the mice. So yeah, it's a fucking avoidable risk. But everything is a risk. And it's not, it, it's not, it's saccharin. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it, it bugs me, obviously, you might be able to tell. But 200 parts per million kills the rats before the study can even finish. Um, and so we'll talk about more about diastole later, but the more I find out, the more I think I've been manipulated, I do not like this, and the more I think it's like saccharin, which is something I understand, the more I think that, you know, uh, looking at these meta-studies and how they play games with it, <sighs> so, uh, that's the show,